Blessed God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, truly you are good. You provide for all that you have made. Uh, you provide the sun, the rain, the moon, the stars, the food, the, the resource, everything necessary. And you do it for all of those who look to you for all good and those who don't, because that's who you are. So we would thank you that you are such a good Father and would ask that this good word of your dear beloved Son would come and and open up our hearts that who we are and what we do, knowing that we have received so much, might indeed be given away to others to the glory and praise of Jesus. Amen. You know, we kept talking about do not judge so that you may not be judged. What do you mean by that? We talked from different angles and different perspectives. We marveled and we wondered. Do not judge, so that you may not be judged. It was not just a straightforward, don't you dare ever do it, because that wouldn't be true. Jesus made divisions. Jesus was able to stand against immorality and sin and hurtful people and and confusion and misunderstanding. Why, we've already seen him more than once judge against the demonic world. So when he said to us, do not judge so that you may not be judged, we really wanted to know what he was talking about. Of course, he reminded us, well, didn't you hear what I said right after that? Well, how often has that been true of us? Jesus says one thing, and we're so wrapped up into it that we don't really hear what he says next. Yeah, that seems to be a common human trait. We're always so worried about our response that we just don't really listen. We don't pay attention. Because, Jesus says, you know, the verdict that you use to judge, the sentence, the decision, the reason why, the the what for, here's what I'm saying to you about this particular circumstance, whatever basis that might be, you may well be, in fact, Jesus doesn't say you may be, he says you will be then, it will come back around and it will be used against you. So so maybe it wasn't so much do not judge, though that's clearly what he said. Maybe it's more like be careful how you judge. Because the standard of measure, however it is that you come against another, it would be measured to you. All right. Well, come on. Uh, We live in a, a, a nation still dominated and controlled by the Roman emperor. We have a temple in Jerusalem that is still dominated and controlled by this Sadducean group, this family. We live in a culture that clearly has significant and meaningful Gentile influences. You mean we can't in any way speak up and speak out and speak against that? Of course, Jesus had to say one more time, well, don't you remember what I said right after that? Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? Ah, he's talking about our relationships, the relationships that are 
being established within the disciple community. Why, just earlier today, uh, Jesus had come along the, the sea shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he had called, well, the first four of us anyway, to follow him specifically, and we were doing that. But we knew we were not the only ones. He was putting order and organization to a community of men and women who were to be in this together. In fact, now that we think of it, so much of what Jesus has said to us in this Sermon on the Hillside, it's been plural. He's not just talking to me. He's talking to us. So why do you look? You see, there it was singular. He's looking at us. He's saying, why do you take a look and see what to do with the speck that is in your brother's eye? You know, Peter had to look at his brother Andrew, and James had to look at John, and, and there's a you know, slight little grin underneath their beards. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not, in fact, don't even pay attention to the log that's sticking completely out of your own eye. Quite the proverb, very memorable, no doubt about it. But to the point, you see, Jesus was getting us to understand, look, in, in this community, you might want to be careful how you come against one another, how you come toward one another. You might want to be careful about your attitude. You might want to be careful about your words. You might want to be careful about your reasons. You might just want to be careful because everywhere you turn within the disciple community, you're going to find specks and you're going to overlook logs. That's just how it goes. So now we have a really good idea of the kind of a community that Jesus is establishing among us. He's not saying, never do it. He is pointing out there will be times, and we've already tasted a little bit of the wrath of Jesus against some of the, well, words and deeds that we've applied, not only toward him, but also toward one another. That's going to keep happening. We have much to learn. But in Matthew 7, verse 4, he nails it down again. How will you say to your brother? See, there it is. Let me remove the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. We, we almost had to chuckle. The, the, the stark, utter contrast that Jesus laid out in front of us. Look, when you deal with one another, don't you even dare think you can begin to remove the speck until you deal with your own log. Matthew 7, 5, you hypocrite. Whoa, 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 that's a bit personal. Up until now, Jesus had called uh, hypocrites those who focus on their over and above giving those who babble in their prayer to impress people, and those who want others to observe their religious devotion. But now he's saying, a hypocrite is someone who can always see the wrong in someone else, but not in their own heart. Not in their own lives. Which made good sense then, what he said to us. First, remove the log out of your own eye. Deal with your own issues. Deal with your own concerns. Recognize your own 
well, sin. Jesus will have much more to say about that. But for now, what's he doing? He's saying, look, if the eye is the light of the body, and when he said that, we came to recognize and to, to notice that it's not just a way for light to come in, but through the eye is a reflection of what comes out out of the heart. In other words, our eyes are guided. We look at what is most significant, meaningful, and important to us because that's what's in our heart. And Jesus is pointing out, if you're going to be the kind of a person who's always looking out to make sure someone is clean, then you might want to be very careful about making sure that you yourself are clean. Be honest with yourself. Yeah, uh, take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll be able to see more clearly. To take the speck out of your own brother's eye. See, he's not saying don't take the speck out. He's saying be very careful about the way you do that because you're stuck with the log. It was then one more of those remarkable, just very quick sayings. But it drew this all together, Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and turning, tear you to pieces. Wow. Do not give what is holy to dogs. Well, you see, our impression of dogs always has been, well, those are the Gentiles. Anybody that doesn't think like we do, that's the dog. And do not throw your pearls before swine. Swine, oh, come on, Jesus. We don't touch pigs. We don't deal with pigs. We know from Moses that, that swine are not part of the clean animals to be eaten. They are part of the unclean animals to be avoided at, at every opportunity and, and every way. So why would you ever give what is holy to a dog? Why would you ever throw what is of value to you, a pearl, before swine? I guess it would make sense they will trample you, uh, and that, whatever it is that you throw to them and give to them, yeah, they'll trample that under the feet, but then they'll turn and tear you to pieces. That probably really makes sense, but it's connected to what has come before. See, Jesus didn't change the language. He just kept right on going. which, of course, made us think afterwards, did Jesus really mean what we think he means? Because what we think he means is, well, dogs are dogs. Those are Gentiles. Don't give anything good to the Gentile. Swine are swine. Don't throw anything of value before them. Well, we're all in on that game. We're not going to do that in any meaningful way for sure. This is not what we do. We don't look out for those who are not like us. We look to judge and to condemn. And now that we've begun to really kind of figure out that what Jesus, when it comes to not judging, is talking about our brothers, then it must be quite okay to judge those who are outside of our family. But Jesus didn't change the subject. It seems clear just by the language that he uses. This is a proverb, a proverbial saying, that is really a fitting climax of everything that he's just said. As if to say, 
don't you dare treat your fellow brothers and sisters in the community of disciples as a dog. And don't you dare treat those who are in the family of the community of disciples as a swine. You must treat and should treat your fellow disciples with compassion and humility and gentleness. After all, you're the one, because you had the log removed, you had the bigger surgery than taking the speck out of their eye. From Jesus' perspective, your brothers and sisters are holy. Don't throw what is holy to the dogs. Now it begins to make more sense. Because your brothers and sisters are a treasure to the living God. He values them deeply and widely and wondrously and amazingly. So don't you dare cast your pearls. Don't you dare throw another one of your own from the community under the bus, so to speak. The fellowship that we have with other disciples is precious. It is to be defended, it is to be uplifted, it is to be guarded, it is to be nurtured, no doubt about it. Because if you don't, let me tell you, Jesus says, this is what's going to happen in the community. You're going to start tearing each other up. That's exactly what will happen. You treat someone like a dog, they're going to treat you like your food. You treat someone like a pig, and they're going to treat you like you don't matter. It's the nature of dogs and pigs. We all knew that. Every one of our towns and villages has those wandering dogs. That's, that's why we began to, to treat Gentiles as if they were dogs. That's why our jokes would come across and say, see, these people just aren't worth it. There's no meaningful, significant reason why we ought to work with them, deal with them, engage them, encourage them. Uh, we, of course, in the Israelite community, we didn't play with pigs. Those were verboten to us. No, no, no. We did not have them. But we all understood because our Gentile neighbors, we knew that they did. And we had watched more than once when you put something in front of a pig that they desperately want. They don't care what they do. They will knock anything and everything down and out of their way to get at it. It's just how it is. So we just had to remember that. When Jesus says this, he doesn't change subjects. That conversation that we would have with him in the evenings and in the mornings and while we're alone together and while we have time to, to really go after these topics and these subjects, yeah, we, we recognize that that's exactly the way that he said it. Do not judge lest so that you will not be judged because the way that you do it is the way it will come back to you by the standard you use is the standard that will come back to you, no doubt about it. So why in the world do you want to look at someone else's something that's insignificant when you've got something major? See, all of that goes to do not deal with the disciple community as if they are dogs and pigs because they are holy and they are pearls. They are sacred. They are gifts of the living God, uh, gifts to each one of us. Deal with them that way. Look at them that way. Understand and know and recognize this is what it's going to be. And again, take note, we had to deal with the understanding that Jesus did not say, never, ever, in no way do you then come to another in the fellowship of community and seek to take what may be wrong and put it right. It's just what you do is you do it with humbleness and humility, guided by the rule of love, if you will, not the rule of justice, 
come at them with the understanding that with humbleness and humility, with the full, honest recognition, well, maybe even say it this way. You know, I might be wrong, but here's what I see. Am I seeing it right? Can you help me out? Is there more to it that I don't know? I've observed this is the way that you speak or this is the way you behave. This is what I see. Do I have it well? Do I have it right? What does the Word say to us? What does Jesus say to us? Let that be the way you go about indicating and being a part of and going through the different aspects and reasons and ways of life and of living. You see, now that begins to make a whole lot more sense. After all, Jesus has talked about our piety. He then turned to our possessions. And we're fully aware he's now talking about the people around us. The people, especially in the fellowship, in the brotherhood, in the sisterhood, those who are our own family in Christ. There is no question. We have been received into this blessed beatitudes, gifting of the living God. He has called us to be salt and light in our world. No question and no doubt. And Jesus gives us very good counsel on how to do that. Comments? Thoughts? Well, that's very consistent with how he's trying to get us to grasp how to handle each other in our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, interesting, early on in the conversation you said um, maybe you ought to, uh, Jesus was saying, uh, maybe you ought to attempt to take out the speck in your own eye. But was that more of a a statement of, well, you really can't do that anyway? Um, or was it more of a kind of a statement saying, no, do that step first. If, if you're going to judge inside the community and you're going to do it in the way you just said, not treating your brothers as swine and, and dogs, but if, if you have to feel the need to judge them, maybe you ought to take the speck out of your eye. And what, what I'm really getting at is it, I don't think he means that because any attempt, if you follow that line of thinking completely to the end, that he's basically saying, get rid of sin, then maybe you can judge. And mm-hmm. he would know that, right. well, we... We can't do that, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah, no, that's fair. See, uh, Matthew 7, verse 5. Uh, you hypocrite. You know, he, he, he's just really said you know, a, a standout word that he's used already more than once in this particular you know, message to us. And then he says, first, take the log uh, out of your own eye. Uh, okay, well, uh, he uses the word pro tus. Um, th- this is what I want you to do. And the, the imagery there is of, of first order, 
of, of as you think about it, if you see something else going wrong in the community, it's not that you don't deal with it. It's just that before you do, you stop yourself and ask, how am I going to do this? How am I right. going to approach this? How am I going to deal with this? If we let, let that, as you say, because a logical conclusion could be, well, I have to become sinless, before I can actually go to judge and will have to hear put in the imagery of judge, because normally we think judge equals condemnation. Right. When scripturally, judge equals put things right. So if you see something wrong, maybe by word or deed or relationship, whatever it might be, in the life of another brother or sister in the disciple community, to judge them is not just to fly off the handle and announce you're condemned and you're going to go to hell and all of these kind of things. It's no. You come at them with the intent that I see something that it doesn't look right to me. So Jesus says, first... Protus, uh, first, before you go do that, just take a look at yourself. See, remove the plank from your own eye. Remove the log from your own eye. And that's, that's too why we have to bring in that, you know, the eye is the light of the body, the lamp of the body. Well, did Jesus just mean that through the eye, light from the sun, let's say, bouncing off the trees, enters into my brain and I understand what it is? No, that's not really all that he means, because the eyes guide us through life. And the eyes are really, when you watch them, remember how he said it to the men anyway, you know, when you look lustfully at a woman, you've already committed adultery. See, what, what, that, what that communicates very clearly is what you want to do is commit adultery. And so you guide your eyes to go do that. That's what you do. So the eyes aren't just what comes in. The eyes are the way that we engage and enter into the world, but our eyes are a reflection of our heart. So he's clearly indicating to us here, look, you know your heart has issues. You know your heart has sin. You might want to confess your sin before your Heavenly Father and receive the fact that you are part of his Beatitude community and then go. But then don't go with the pride that says, well, I'm forgiven and i got to take care of you. No, go with the humbleness and the humility that says, I may well be a bigger sinner than you in this conversation. I may well not really have it understood. I may well not know all the facts. I may well recognize very plainly this is what's going on. And I may actually have had... A, a, a true and right and appropriate response to what I see going on here. Now, how can I come alongside you that I might judge you? But see, judge at that point doesn't mean condemn you. It means right. how can I be here so that this or you or circumstance or relationship in our community might be put back to right? Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh Boy, if we did that on uh, just about any topic, specifically in doctrinal topics, uh, we sure would be much better off as a community. I want to add 
one thought to this, and, it, and if it's too much of a tangent, we can just keep going. Okay. It's the same thought I brought up. This past weekend, I was able to listen to Jeremiah Johnson at a local church. You mm-hmm. probably know of him. Mm-hmm. And um, in summary, his message, uh, boy, I hope I do this right, <laughs> but was one of, if you want to pull down things of heaven, uh, healing, for example, you should examine yourself first and clean yourself up, and then maybe you can pull down healing. Mm. For example, if you're knowingly in an open, uh, a, a, uh, oh, a extra a marital affair, and you're living that way, mm-hmm. and you know it, and you know it's wrong, uh, and you would like to get your foot healed, you should realize that until you deal with your extramarital affair and stop it, basically, you're not going to be able to call down the healing on your foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you can imagine how I was squirming in the pews when I heard that. Mm-hmm. I... I, I uh, conceptually think, well, of course, no matter what, you should try not to have an extramarital affair. Mm-hmm. But putting it in an equation-like statement so that perhaps you could get the healing. And he, he alluded to this church. I think it's in San Francisco. He went to it. There's 800 people in line, he said, every Saturday morning from all around the world waiting for healing. Mm-hmm. And the, he, he alluded to the fact that this church figured out the secret sauce, if you will, to heal people. Um, so if you can figure out the secret sauce, you can get healed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so it's kind of the same concept here with the speck in your eye. And you cleared it up. Uh, but, or, and... Uh, the only way you could fully approach someone in the, your believing community with, a, with an effort to help them from the way God might do it is if you were sinless. And so it was good to hear Jesus didn't say, well, get yourself sinless, then you mm-hmm. can go help your uh, other fellow out. And if you want to comment on anything there, and again, if I'm if Jeremiah Johnson, who's a you know a pillar in Christianity, uh, if if he ever hears this um, tape we're doing this recording, and I said it wrong, I sincerely apologize to yeah. him. <laughs> I understand. But, but I think that's pretty much what I heard. And he he was there in a believing community in a Pentecostal church, basically. Um, really just kind of whooping up on his believers, like yeah. try, try harder to sin less. That's basically what he was saying, because mm-hmm. it, has, it has effect on your ability to interact with heavenly things. Mm-hmm. That, that's what he was saying. Yeah, um, yeah. I can appreciate but, that. And, and see, my, my comment simply would be, in order to really get at what Jesus is doing here, you have to remember the order that he's doing it in. Because um, if you just 
pull this series out, you know, from the you shall not judge to the do not throw it as holy before dogs, etc., if you just take that aspect of what Jesus is talking with us about, and then mm-hmm. you can begin to apply it in a, as a you know, truly a wide variety uh, of uh, means and ways, and many times because it becomes disconnected from what has gone before, um, you, you end up then missing much of, if not entirely, what it is Jesus is really uh, getting at. Because this is yeah. a formula uh, to say, look, if, if you can go ahead and deal with your log and reach that place where your eye is completely healed, then you can go take care of the speck. Well, you see, you've got all kinds of issues, concerns, and problems. Right. Because, again, just let's just keep the order, and let's only go back into Matthew chapter 6, because that's where it, you know, it comes out of. It goes into that, that whole reality of what does a child of God look like in a real-world experience and expression, knowing full well that God has blessed us completely and utterly undeservingly. He has called us to be salt and light in the world. He has very plainly pointed out that his word isn't going to go away. So we're all stuck here. In other words, none of us are going to fully achieve nor reach some level of holiness or perfection. It's not going to happen. We're always going to try it the way of the scribe and the Pharisees, which is, well, as long as I look like it on the outside, everything's going to be okay. And then that's chapter 5. Jesus says, no, see, here's what you think it means, but let me, let me give you the real deal. It's you've got to go after your heart. So in chapter 6, what's he done? He says, and this is what the children, the discipleship community, this is what the family of God begins to look like. When you come across the poor, you don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Because there's really only one person here that you have to respond to and deal with. You don't have to deal with everybody else in the synagogue. You have to deal with, you know, and, and notice, if you're going to not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, you're not even doing this to impress yourself. You're doing this for an audience of one, period. That's the mindset. That's the framework. Now, this audience of one is going to peer right into your heart and soul. There's no doubt about it. He's going to know more about your life than you'll ever be aware of. No doubt about it. And then you turn to the prayer. Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, is what? Pray for what the Father wants first, knowing full well. But go ahead and ask that he'll take care of your needs. And your main needs, if you think about them, are forgiveness, protection, and defense. Because you don't have the capacity. You don't have the capability to deal with this on your own. This is bigger than you. Just like the you know, conversation with Nicodemus. What we're up against here is so much bigger than we are. But if you're just going to go with rules, well, then you're going to think you've got it figured out. But you've completely, you know, really missed the point of that. And then he goes on into your possessions. And the whole point of possessions is, why do you all worry about it so much? You can't really even do anything by yourself to make your life what you think it ought to be. Because, number one, you need other people. Okay, that's said. 
But you need what the Father wants to give to you. You've got to have that. To that there is no doubt, no question. So he wraps all of that up in chapter 6 saying, you see, your focus then needs ought to be upon what Papa wants. You focus on the head of the family. He'll take care of all those other things. All the other stuff will be added to you. So now that we know we've got that primary prototypical order, now he says, so what do you do with the kids in the family? The other kids in the family. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about your brothers and sisters in the family. So don't you dare go judge how they pray. Don't you go judging how they give. Don't you go judging how they fast. Um, If you think about it, the problem is, You've got bigger issues than they do. So, return to the Father. And, of course, if we're all doing this, like like you so rightly point out, you know, if we would just do this, if you live in a discipleship community, a Christian church, a Christian community, where you knew that everybody, to the best of their ability, underneath the influence of the Holy Spirit, wanted to focus upon what the Heavenly Father wanted, so that when something pops up that doesn't seem right, then my, my immediate reaction is what? I don't go to that person. I go to the Father. And I say, Father, help me. Because this is what I see. But if I go to that person, it's going to be obvious that, that i got a way bigger speck. Like i got a lot. So... Give me what I need to go there. You know, it's the great phrase. Pray to the Father. Ask the Father about your friend before you go tell your friend about your father. See, that, that, that's just classic, smart, good, humble attitude and approach. And, you know, guys like Jeremiah say, you know, y'all go get yourself clean. Because um, here's the sauce. See, but that's why Jesus teaches us to pray like he does. Uh, number one, there's no formula. There's no sauce. There's no magical uh, you know, incantation. Uh, that, that's how the Gentiles bubble it over in their prayers. Uh, there's none of that. In fact, you may think you've got it all figured out, and I still don't heal you. Okay? Um, because it's not up to you what I do. I know what's in your best interest, and you trust me, and this will work out just okay. Uh, re- yeah. And and that timeline-based theme that you just laid out, as I listen to all the different stories and summations, if you will, of what Jesus is trying to get us to grasp, it all kind of falls back to what you just said, doesn't it? It, He gives many different stories and circumstances and ways to help us grasp it, but that's the whole shooting match, if you will. Uh, Realize that your dad's in charge and then stop beating up your brothers and sisters and just, I like the way you said it once, uh, you can kind of sum up Christianity and thinking, um, well, if there's two people together view the other person as more important. Um, That's kind of the whole shooting match. Remember your father and then view the other person as more important. And every other little detail seems to work its way out, doesn't it?
Are you there, Craig? Hmm. Well, I can no longer hear you, Craig. I'll try to dial back in. <laughs> 